Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Jim Sylvester. Uh, founder of Integrated Roadways, and the website is integratedroadways.com. Tim, how are you today? I'm good, Richard. How are you today? Good. Yeah, I'm going to be doing some some driving at some point today, so uh, tell me about your smart roads and smart pavement and autonomous driving work. What do you guys do at Integrated Roadways? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Integrated Roadways upgrades roads for the next generation of mobility, Uh, You may have noticed that much of the innovation around data collection and wireless services is taking place um, on or nearby roadways. We have emerging demands for smart cities, outdoor Internet of Things, 5G cellular, and then uh, applications and services to support connected electric and autonomous vehicles. All of those require... um, networks that uh, operate in and around uh, public roadways and right-of-ways. So our mission is to leverage these commercial demands for next-generation data collection and communication in order to make the road pay for itself so that we can afford to improve America's roadways for the next generation of vehicles and devices. I guess guess you could look at um, the energy used by cars to drive on the roadways, and there's a lot of cars as a Mm -hmm. resource that can be exploited, you know, in one way. Um, but the, you said people want to do data collection and get more information and use uh, connectivity based on the road. So can you, can you break that down? What are some of the uh, specific things that you see there's a big demand for uh, centered around roadways? Yeah, so right now uh, in the smart city space, there's a huge demand for improved data collection about traffic counts and um, traffic patterns and demographics. Right now, it costs about $5,000 uh, for a traffic survey um, that gets you about five days of information. And on average, a roadway is going to have a survey about every five years. Um, so you can just parse that out to be about $1,000 per day uh, per section of road for surveying um, just to collect traffic information. And yet uh, a person, you know, a web host, if you build an Internet site, um, you can install Google Analytics for free and get all of this information about everybody that visits your site at no cost to you forever. Um, Mm. So, you know, the fact that we spend millions of dollars building roadways and we don't know anything about the traffic on them uh, just seems crazy when compared to how simple it is to collect traffic information online. Well, what are some insights that you'd get if we could, you know, right now, uh, no traffic counts and patterns all over the all over a given city? Yeah, so first, first and foremost, you're going to get amazing um, safety improvements because not only can you uh, automatically identify collisions and automatically send first responders, uh, but you can propagate that information through the network faster uh, without having to rely on a, a person to actually Um, make the effort to submit uh, an accident report. Um, Second, you get uh, huge benefits in the amount of throughput for traffic by being able to feed real-time traffic data 
into our signaling systems in order to automatically modify light timings and in a more coordinated way than just on an individual intersection responding um, to the backup of traffic uh, directly at that intersection. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've been in traffic and let's say I want to make a left turn and the signal sucks, you know, it only lets like two cars through and there's a line of 50 right. cars. So I could see that, you know, they could see that changing on the fly. It would help a lot. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, beyond the um, improvements to the general public and uh, the improved re response to collisions, um, there's a huge benefit to the real estate uh, development community and to the actual operators of uh, commercial enterprises. You know, 90% of restaurants fail in the first three years of operations. Uh, we strongly believe that that failure rate can be reduced by um, providing better information to restaurateurs about the traffic levels for their location and the kind of demographics. And seeing as how, um, you know, starting a restaurant is one of the most common ways for families and, start, and, and beginning entrepreneurs um, to create a small business, anything that we can do that improves the success uh, for those companies is going to have a huge impact, not only on the local community, but on the lives of the families that start these uh, start these restaurants. Well, how, all right, so how do you modify a roadway so it can tell you in real time what's going on, accidents, traffic, et cetera? What do you physically have to do to it in order to get the well, data? The, the first thing that, that I want to um, emphasize is that nearly half of roadways in the United States need to be rebuilt right now. So a lot of people, when they hear that our technology requires the reconstruction of the roadway, they say, oh, my gosh, that's too much work, when the reality is it's work that desperately needs to be done and nobody has a solution for it. So we start with a brand-new road. It's a prefabricated paving system called precast concrete. Uh, we build the road in sections in a factory, and then we deliver it to the job site for assembly. This method's been used for more than 80 years. It's extremely successful. It builds very fast, and it costs less over the life of the roadway than building in place, um, largely in the same way that uh, buying a shirt off the shelf costs less than a custom-tailored shirt. Um, yeah. So this, this prefab road system, inside it, we include um, passive uh, networking and power systems. And these are like the plugs and wires in your wall. You know, if you buy uh, a Nest thermostat or a smart TV, you don't have to upgrade all the wiring inside your house for it to work because those elements are passive. So the stuff that we put in the road is passive as well. Um, and this allows us to make the road touch sensitive so that we can identify uh, vehicle positions in real time and collect all of the traffic information. Um, and it also allows us to deploy sensor pods directly into the roadway, uh, not only our own, um, but third-party providers can implement uh, their own sensors as a, a hosted element on this network. Um, and we can also incorporate antennas for Wi-Fi, for 4G, for 5G, for dedicated short-range communication. Um, so this basically turns the entire roadway into a platform for civic and urban innovation.
So, all right. So you're proposing to create new roadways and have them assembled in place of the existing roadways, or is this just for new roadways going in? Yeah, this is for reconstruction of America's existing roadways. America has more than 3 million miles of roadways that are desperately awaiting funding for reconstruction that's just not available from traditional sources. And, you know, uh, a bit of a tangent is a lot of this comes from the way that we pay for roads. You know, the the method by which the public funds roadways has not changed significantly for like 80 years. Even as everything else has changed around us, we're still using uh, a way of paying for road improvements that our great-grandparents would recognize. And that's crazy. So by by shifting uh, the source of revenue to fix roads from um, the public tax base, which has never been enough, uh, and focusing it on the commercial demand for data and wireless services, um, we remove the burden of paying for road improvements from the public and shift it to commercial markets where um, the more that's invested in roadways, the more valuable the network becomes. So it creates a virtuous cycle that motivates private investors um, to fund the improvement of our roadway network in a way that does not require taxes, tax increases and does not require us to impose tolls to repay the investors. So what's the incentive for an investor to invest in a given roadway? And since it's a public place, how would they invest in a roadway? They invest using a public-private partnership. This is a financing structure that is extremely popular in Europe. Um, Actually, in Europe, uh, private investors paying for public infrastructure is extremely common. Um, And it's been common since the 70s and 80s whenever European nations uh, needed to reinvest in rebuilding their roads. You know, uh, the United States funded the majority of the infrastructure construction after World War II. And when it came time for Europe to reinvest in, in its public infrastructure in the 70s and 80s, they couldn't rely on their tax base, and so they started using public private partnerships. Well, the point is that we use the exact same method. It is uh, it, uh, the structure that we use is endorsed by the U.S. Department of Treasury as a best practices solution for private investment under the Obama White House. This comes directly out of a best practices document that the Department of Treasury published in 2014. Um, the difference being that they recommended the use of tolls. Um, But, you know, tolls are so contentious. Uh, Nobody really likes tolls other than the tolling authority. And so we replace that with all of the digital services that become available um, with, uh, you know, the demands for next generation devices and vehicles. So you're going to have a new investment vehicle or, or one that's common over in Europe here for people to fund roads? That's exactly right. Yes. And how would an investor get paid back their investment, their principal and interest, you know, for funding uh Main Street in San Francisco? Yeah, they would. Well, it depends on the financing structure. If you purchase um, a private activity bond that's issued through this type of of arrangement, then you would get paid, um, you know, your your interest payment and then your principal at the uh, settlement of the bond, uh, which, you know, that would be like 35, uh, maybe longer, uh, 35 plus years. Um, if you were an equity investor, then you would uh, gain repayment through um, participation in the equity of the asset and uh, the profits generated. 
But really, you know, Richard, this is a basic commercial services play where investors get paid back essentially the same way they would get paid back if they invested in a cellular company or an Internet service provider. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So, all right, what other um, improvements do you see in the in the future or the near future for roads? Well, um, you know, we have the ability using this technology to make the road pay for itself, but it goes so much beyond that because the same technology that tells us the positions of vehicles also tells us the condition of the roadway. So we can um, automatically schedule road improvements and perform real-time analytics on the quality and condition of the roadway so that you have a far more efficient maintenance and repair um, operation. But, you know, that's not really exciting. What's exciting is the fact that the vehicle position information can also support autonomous vehicles. Right now, all of the technology for autonomy is built into the car. And in our opinion, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, the the technology that, that the cell network requires is not built into the cell phone. The cell phone right. would be way too big and way too expensive. So we build the majority of the tech into the network, and then the only tech that goes into the device is the bare minimum required to interface with the network. We have the same attitude with autonomy. If the average car was $24,000 new, and is 12 years old, it's unreasonable to be marketing these autonomous cars that are, you know, a quarter million dollars or even $80,000. It's just so far beyond what the average person can access. And from a, a technology and networking standpoint, it doesn't make the slightest bit of sense in comparison to the other advanced data-driven technologies we use. So what we think is exciting is the ability to democratize autonomy by shifting the burden out of the individual's vehicle, um, which, you know, they have to depreciate over the life of the vehicle, and moving the technology into the roadway where it not only enables the roadway to pay for itself, but it dramatically reduces the cost of adoption for autonomy for the average person. And, I mean, that's huge. But outside of that, the ability to use public right-of-way to capture sustainable power, um, that's enormous as well. And it's extremely difficult to do that now under the existing structure that DOTs have because they just don't have the mandate to invest in that kind of power capture technology. Um, the sustainability of being able to use alternative materials that, that transform road pollution, or I'm sorry, air pollution, um, into vital nutrients for our um, soil uh, and the ability to actually reduce the diversion of precipitation um, out of the, uh, you know, out of the uh, watershed, or I'm sorry, out of the drainage systems and into the watershed. I think these are all huge opportunities, and I could go on about any of those that you're interested in. One final comment is... Um, is that electric vehicles have the capability to be recharged wirelessly so that you never have to stop and plug in. But that's oh, not wow. being tapped into because the way we build roads doesn't accommodate it. With our system, the ability to charge electric vehicles is a natural byproduct of the way that we treat the roadway like a network. Um, so, you know, this, this kind of tech holds the promise of creating – um, sustainable, enduring value in not only the way that we build our roads, 
but the way that we design and construct and invest in the development of our cities um, for sustainability on the environmental side, on the power generation side, uh, for sustainable materials. There's just so many dimensions here that are opened up by taking a new look at how we um, build and manage roadways. Right. Well, when you mentioned charging wirelessly, I guess uh, because a car is a, a big old conductor moving at high speed, then you can do inductive charging if you had a roadway that was set up properly, right? Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of different um, charging methods for wireless vehicles, and some of them work at relatively high speeds. You know, the problem is that these companies are focused on the electrical, uh, you know, the electrical engineering aspects of vehicle charging and not on the packaging and delivery of that charge system into the road network. So that's, that's been a big obstacle for them. But on the side of the public agency, the obstacle is how they can afford to incorporate this technology into public infrastructure because it is relatively expensive and because they don't have an easy way uh, to actually charge people for its use. And so if you're struggling to pay for improvements to an asphalt roadway, being asked to add in these expensive charging systems and then not even being able to um, charge a fee to the public for using them is, you know, a double obstacle. But all of that is entirely resolved by looking at roadways from the perspective that we have. So what would uh, an ideal roadway look like and what would it do for any example? You know, and, you know? Right now, an ideal roadway for this kind of technology would be a relatively high-traffic road in an urban area that has already seen um, stated interest from existing telecom providers in next-generation networking, whether that's going to be smart city improvements or 5G cellular. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of dimensions that this makes sense for. Um, but for the most part right now, we need to have average or preferably higher than average traffic levels in order to justify the investment. Okay. But what, what, what kinds of things would a road like this do? You know, an ideal candidate, what would it do if you hooked it up the way you want to hook it up? Well, right now, the immediate benefit would be for data collection. And the data collection would have enormous improvements on um, the uh, the operation of stakeholders that are currently using the roadway, whether that's going to be um, public vehicle fleets um, for transportation or emergency services, private vehicle fleets for better navigation, trip planning, traffic information, um, the general public for improved traffic information and trip planning, transportation network companies, um, insurance companies that want to know more about the behaviors of drivers in the local area. But I see the major benefit being to real estate developers and commercial brick-and-mortar operators um, that are trying to improve the targeting between what they provide and what the local community needs. That's today right. for, like, the first project that we do in an area. Um, but as the size of the installation grows, the value of the network for connectivity grows as well. And so over time, we see the, the primary value shifting um, away from the data collection, which is not going to stop. That will continue. But at some point, the value of the connectivity for wireless, whether it's Wi-Fi or 5G, 4G, dedicated short-range communications, 
Um, and then the fiber backhaul. So whether it's a municipal fiber network, a rural fiber network, um, there's a lot of ways to manage that. But um, over time, the uh, connectivity value is going to reach and then exceed the value of the data service. How would you uh, have a road help enable autonomous driving? You said it doesn't need to be confined only to the vehicles. So how would a road yeah. help in that regard? So by the road being touch sensitive, we can tell in real time where all of the vehicles are positioned um, at an extremely high frame rate. Um, and so this, this reduces the need, if not eliminates the need, of the vehicle to have um, complicated cameras and laser systems and a lot of onboard processing in order to translate that 3D information into machine interpretable um, positional maps of vehicles that can be relied upon for autonomous operation. Whereas with our system, we're basically turning the road into a touchpad and the ability to report back where the vehicles are is as computationally simple as your touchscreen knowing where your finger is positioned. I see. So if a car goes off the road, you'd be able to tell right away or if it slows down or uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. It's, you know, we can see run off the road. Uh, we can see collisions. Um, when it comes to autonomy, though, the big benefit is um, the seamless identification of the, the real-time positions of those vehicles um, and the ability to track their trajectories over the last few um, moments in order to establish a, a um, reasonable extrapolation of where their position will be in the next few moments and then communicate that to all of the vehicles on the roadway to improve their collision avoidance, which I don't know if you've been paying attention lately, but autonomous cars have been having a bit of a problem with running into things, and, uh, you know, we think we can help with that a lot. Any worries that this would lead to, uh, you know, just a, a, lot of, a lot more surveillance than people want? You know, like your touchpad roads, they would know when anyone is speeding at any time, and, you know, sadly, you could just ticket whoever you know, exceeded the speed limit, you didn't even have to interact with them. Um, yeah, we're extremely sensitive to that. So, you know, Richard, we, uh, we have designed this system to be secure from the very beginning, and the way that it's designed makes it impossible for us to issue automated speeding tickets. Um, and if, you know, if we got into a discussion with a public agency about providing improvements, and automated speeding tickets was a requirement for them to allow us to proceed, we would just go somewhere that has more respect for their own um, constituents and local population. You know, the purpose of the roadway is not uh, to act as a method to extract revenue from the public for police. Uh, the purpose of the roadway is to support the uh, personal and commercial lives of the community and if we're being asked by the authorities to do something that's harmful to the community, we're just going to find a client that has more respect for their own constituents. Well, that's exactly what's been happening, you know, with cameras. You know, in Arizona, they had uh, speed cameras on the highway. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in England, in London, I was just there. I mean, the whole roadway is set up like that. Camera yeah, after camera after camera. Just to, They just send you a ticket. They can even just debit your account. You know, Nothing happens. It just zoop. They just take the money from you whenever they want. Yeah, there's a lot of unscrupulous people in this world, Richard, but the fact that bad people exist does not mean that there aren't good people out there. 
Very good. What what point are you at? Um, have you been able to deploy uh, any sections of road yet in a test basis or a real-world basis? Yeah, we are uh, actively working on our first commercial deployment. Uh, we are going to have the first uh, demonstration project done in a couple of weeks. It's going to be on Brighton Boulevard in Denver, Colorado, which is one of the highest traffic corridors in Denver, and it's currently being um, reconstructed uh, because of all of the influx of residents in Denver over the last couple of years. And so we're having this fantastic opportunity um, to deploy our first public demonstration in a location that is going to have exactly the right kind of population to see the benefit from what we do. Um, and then we're going to follow that up with an improvement on US 285 in uh, Colorado um, at a very dangerous location, at a, well, relatively dangerous location um, where they've had a number of, of drivers run off the road over the years, resulting in some really horrific accidents. And so for that location, we're going to be more focused on identifying automatically identifying and reporting run-off-the-road accidents so that emergency services um, can respond to uh, the scene and render aid immediately without the, the delay between the accident happening and somebody reporting it manually. That's good. That's great. Uh, last question I had is um, roads need to be really robust than what I've seen. I mean, they're always doing construction. Everyone hates it. You know, there's mm -hmm. potholes, I guess, from the winter, you know, water freezing and all that, and the road yep. expanding and contracting, cracking. How do you make sure that not only the technology is useful, but the roads don't break to pieces and ruin the technology? You know, what if there's tire shreds from a, uh, you know, a tractor trailer that blew a tire all over the road, and now the touch mm -hmm. sensitivity doesn't work, or there's potholes? What do you do? Yeah, so um, the a tire would be too light to trigger the system. Um, you know, we're not we're not yet to that level of sensitivity to be able to see something that's, you know, a couple ounces or a couple of pounds like a tire. Um, so please, for the moment, don't trust your puppy or your kitten or your toddler with this system, because uh, right now we're just looking for vehicles. Um, as for the, the durability, this technology has been used worldwide for 80 years, and it has superior performance in inclement weather to traditional road building systems, uh, cast in place or slip form concrete and, um, you know, uh, asphalt. Um, the Federal Highway Administration anticipates a two to four X um, life for a precast concrete roadway as they project for a traditional asphalt road. So one of the reasons that normal roadways are so fragile and fall apart so quickly is because of the lack of money for the public agency to invest in building a robust roadway that lasts a long time. And the focus, um, the, the mandatory focus by law on purchasing the cheapest possible type of roadway that they can get. Um, final point is, uh, you know, the, the vehicle detection systems, like I mentioned earlier, also tell us the, the condition of the roadway. Um, and so this type of road will never experience a pothole because before the pothole ever reaches the surface of the road, we'll be able to see it with our pavement condition indexing systems and automatically go out there and repair the site before it presents an issue to the public. And before you say, gosh, that sounds expensive, well, 
preventative maintenance is only about 10% of the cost of um, repairing something that has broken. So, you know, it might seem cost prohibitive to maintain our roadways before they're actually visibly damaged, but it actually saves a lot of money over the long term. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, very good, Tim. This is really cool stuff. As I think about it, I can see it's a gargantuan problem, but it would have tremendous value, you know, if you can get it out there, and you are. So, you know, thanks for doing what you do, and it's been really interesting. Um, what, what's the best way for folks to get in contact with you? Because it sounds like, you know, collaboration from various entities would be a big help. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, we see what we do as being a partnership um, with an enormous amount of stakeholders. And there's a lot of room here um, for third parties to add sensors, to add, you know, um, different kinds of applications and services over the top of our network. And we very much embrace that. So, Anybody that has a technology, whether it's hardware or software, that they think could add value to this, please visit our website at integratedroadways.com and uh, click the contact link. Um, we'll receive your message, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible to talk about how we might be able to work together. Very good, Tim. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Richard. I certainly appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, if uh, – this, you know, this is great. We love this kind of exposure. And if there's anything else we can do for you or your listeners, we're more than happy to. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.